Well, we, uh, we are starting a new series, our Advent series today, and you're in for a treat because Andrew Hudson is going to be sharing with us today. I heard what he had to share last night, and it's just a wonderful message, so uh, be ready to be blessed. Andrew, Thanks, God bless you. Appreciate Let's it. give it up. Oh, good morning. Happy, happy Thanksgiving. Um, I have a, we have a lot to be thankful for. I'm thankful to be a Buckeye this morning. Um, and, uh, and, uh, but I'm also thankful for a lot of things. And I'm thankful that um, my family and I, we just welcomed a new baby boy into our extended family, I should say. Not, not me personally, but my, that, got, that could have been real weird, I guess, if my wife thought, what, what just happened? Um, <laughs> But my, my brother and my sister-in-law just had a, a little baby boy a few weeks ago. And as the time was getting closer and closer um, to his arrival, we just kept waiting and waiting and with excitement and expectation. And, and, um, and then her due date came and, and no baby. And then we, the next day came and no baby. And the next day came and the next day came. But eventually I get this text that says, that yeah, he's here, and so we are, we're driving down to Dayton to go meet this little guy, and we have this tradition in my family where we don't tell anybody the name of our children until you actually get to meet them. So, so um, we did that with all three of our kids, and it was a lot of fun, and, um, and my brother and his sister have done, or my, my brother and my sister-in-law, I should say, have done the same thing. And so we're driving down to Dayton and we're just guessing names as we go. What do, what do you think it's going to be? What do you think it's going to be? And, and we get there and we see this beautiful little baby boy and, they, um, and we get to hold him and they, they both say together, this is Elijah. And it was just oh, a sweet time to just get to meet little Eli. And my wife, Sarah, immediately says, well, what does it mean? What does Elijah mean? What's the name mean? And in Hebrew, the name Elijah means God is Lord. God is Lord. And see, they chose this name not just because they thought it was a good name. They chose it for its meaning. I believe my brother and sister-in-law chose this name because they believed that that statement was going to define their son's life. That it was going to be a part of who he was. That he would grow up and God would be his Lord. And you know, when we look at the Bible, when people name their children in the Bible... They never really, they never pick names that are trendy or names that necessarily sound good. They pick names primarily based on their meaning and what they expect and hope and pray for for their child. The, in the Bible, names have very intentional meanings. It's almost like a declaration of who they are to become, of their identity, of their purpose. And so now that Thanksgiving's over, and we're beginning to prepare for another baby to come, Jesus. As we come into this Christmas season, we're going to see that Jesus' parents name him Jesus because um, of what his name means. That Jesus is, basically, is actually the word Yeshua in Hebrew, and it's where we get the name Joshua from. And it means God or Yahweh saves. And as we think about who Jesus is to become, he is to become the savior of the world. And, and yet, as huge as that is, it still doesn't seem to quite be enough to describe all that Jesus is and was. I mean, when we think about it, Jesus is absolutely our savior. 
But he's so much more than that. He's so much more than that. We need, in fact, the Bible goes on to give over almost 200 more names, 198 exactly, other titles or names to describe Jesus. Nicknames, you could say. Things about him that describe who he is and what he came to do. So from now until Christmas, we're going to be in this new series. I get to kick off a new series in, in Advent. And Advent is the weeks leading up to Christmas. And in the traditional church calendar, Advent is, is known as this time of anticipation, of excitement, of arrival, of our Savior to come. And when we um, get to, to do this, we get to, I, well, sorry, I forgot something. I was going to say this. So when I was a kid, I remember Advent. I grew up in a very traditional church. And up right by the altar, there would be this wreath. And on this wreath, there were four candles. And each week, there would be one more candle would be lit. And so my brother and I, when we were kids, we would come to church and we'd get real excited when we see that wreath. That means Christmas is getting close. And every week, there'd be a new candle lit. And when all four candles were lit, we were ecstatic. We were excited. Now, not necessarily for the right reasons, right? We were excited for presents. But, but we were excited for Jesus, too. And I... My hope and prayer is that during these next few weeks that we will be a people who discover deeper and deeper of who Jesus is. And what we are going to do is we're going to, I'm going to speak on one particular name of these prophetic names that Jesus went by. And each week we're going to look at a different name. And my hope is that by the time Christmas arrives, we will have a deeper understanding of who Jesus really is to us, to the world. And, you know, since we got plenty of material to go on with 190-plus names, we could just keep this series going for, like, four years, right? <laughs> and you thought the Acts series was long. Right? No, I'm just kidding. I think we'll stick, it, stick to Advent. So let's pray real quick and invite God, and then we'll, we'll dig into it. Holy Spirit, come be with us. Holy Spirit, come teach us more and more about who you are. And as we learn about various names and nicknames and titles of you, Jesus, we pray that it won't be a simple knowledge in our heads, but it will sink deep into our hearts. I pray, Lord, that it will affect the way we live our lives. In Jesus' name, amen. So in preparing for today, I, I kind of thought, where do I even begin? I got 200 names to pick from, right? Where do I, where do I even start? And so I, I believe that God put this thought in my mind as I was wrestling with this. I believe he said, well, why don't, you, why don't you try to see what Jesus liked to be called the most? What did Jesus prefer to go by? What title did he like and identify with? Because if we could figure that out, then that would really clue us in to how he saw himself, about how he saw his purpose and his identity. And it's interesting. I, I thought, well, it's got to be Messiah. It's got to be it. Right, that's a real common word, but that wasn't it. Well, it's got to be son of God. That would make sense. Nope. I know it. I know it. It's Christ. It's going to become his last name anyways, right? So, well, not exactly. But, but it's got to be Christ, and it wasn't Christ. And all those names are critically important to who Jesus is. But what's interesting is Jesus referred to himself in the Bible as this phrase, the son of man, more than any other name. 
the son of man. That seems kind of weird, right? It seems it's like generic word or phrase. But interestingly enough, it's in all four gospels. Matthew, in Matthew, Jesus uses it over 30 times. That's a lot of times. Luke uses it over 25 times. So it must be vitally important. Here's just a few verses where you may have even recognized some of these verses are very popular, where Jesus calls himself, refers to himself as the Son of Man. If you want to throw those first, the next slide up there, it says, so a couple verses. So from Mark 4, I'm sorry, Mark 10, 45. For even the Son of Man did not come to be served, but to serve, and to give his life as a ransom for many. Luke 19, 10. For the Son of Man came to seek and to save the lost. John 12, 23. Jesus replied, the hour has come for the Son of Man to be glorified. And Matthew 12, 8, for the Son of Man is Lord of the Sabbath. And I just picked those to kind of show a, a gamut of a random verses where Jesus does this. And, and notice I picked one from each gospel where he calls himself the Son of Man. So why is he doing this? Well, today I want to look at three different reasons why I think he does this. Three very specific reasons. And the first reason I think Jesus does this is that the Son of Man came to be relatable to all people. The Son of Man came to be relatable to all people. See, at Christmas time, it's pretty amazing to think that the God of the universe, this perfect, all-knowing, divine God, he decided to do almost the unthinkable, to be born as a human being, to become flesh and blood, in a stinky, smelly barn of all places, in a hole-in-the-wall kind of a town called Bethlehem. But he did that in part so that he could experience what it's like to be a human. See, when Jesus would call himself the Son of Man as an adult, I often kind of imagine um, as he's giving a sermon or talking to a crowd that, that there might be some people who weren't Jewish in that crowd. Maybe a, a pagan traveler or a Roman soldier, and they would hear him say this phrase, the Son of Man will do this, and the Son of Man will do that. And basically, they would hear him say that, and they would think, well, this guy's just basically calling himself a, a human. Because what does it mean? What is a son of a man? Well, it's just a man, right? It's just another person. And so by saying the Son of Man, Jesus is basically saying, I'm a human being. You know, I'm... I'm a human being, and in one sense, Jesus is simply saying, I'm a person who just gets up every morning to go to work and puts on one robe at a time, right? Like, you know, but, but I think sometimes that we forget that Jesus was, was something, was not just God, but he was fully human. You know, Jesus um, is saying to us that he can relate to you and me that he can relate to us. You know, you get tired. Jesus is saying, I know what it's like to be tired. You know, you get hungry. I've, I've been hungry. You know, have you ever been sad and just bawled your eyes out? Because I've done that. Have you ever suffered? I know what it's like to suffer. Oh, here's a good one. Have you ever been betrayed by someone you loved? Because I've been betrayed by somebody I loved. He knows what it's like to walk through the grime and the muck of our lives. Because he did it himself. You know, when Jesus was born to this world, it wasn't this magical, utopian, 
paradise experience. You know, sometimes I think when we set up our little Christmas nativity scenes with our little figurines, my, my family and I, we have this tradition where every, the Friday after Thanksgiving, we get our Christmas decorations out and we do that. And we were doing that just, well, two days ago. And, and, uh, and I remember setting it up and I remember this thought crossed my mind. You know, we, we, we picture it as just this easy, light, mellow time. We forget that Mary was delivering a baby. I mean, she was, get, she was in labor and she didn't have epidurals, right? I mean, and not only that, I mean, she was doing it in a barn, in this unsanitary place. And it would have been painful and excruciating. And Jesus didn't just like magically appear out of the womb, just smiling and cooing and happy. No, he cried like every other baby cries. You know, he knows what it's like to come into this world just like every other human and to experience life like we experienced it. Part of the reason that Jesus came into this world so that we could know that, so we could know that God knows what it's like to be in our shoes. Too often we mistakenly see, see Jesus simply, simply, well not simply, but we see Jesus as God who only looks like human. But see, Jesus was the, this perfect blend of 100% God and 100% human at the same time. And we forget that. We forget that. I remember as a teenager, I, I remember going through my, I was kind of late in my teens, and I remember I, w- I dated this girl for a few years, and I remember what it was like when I went through my first breakup. And I remember being distraught and upset thinking my, you know, life was over. And I remember my parents were just trying to encourage me and tell me, you know, it'll get better. It'll be okay, especially my dad. And I remember I gave my dad this look, this look that every, every kid gives their kid at least, or their parent at least one time in their life. That look that says, dad, you have no idea what I'm going through. <laughs> right? If you're a parent, you know what I'm talking about. But I gave him that look, and I think my dad knew it. And he sat me down, and he told me a story he had never told me before. He told me a story about a, about a young woman before he met my mom that he dated for for a long time and how it, it didn't end like he thought it would. And how he remembered going through a, a rough time and a sad time after that for a while. And it was like a light bulb went off in my head because I had never considered that my dad had dated anybody other than my mother. Never crossed my mind. My entire life they had been married They had been together. I never saw my dad as a teenager. I could only see him as a, well, at that time, as a 30-something or a 40-something-year-old man. And, And it was like this amazing, simple thing happened. My dad knew what I was going through in that moment. He knew what it was like to be in my shoes. And when he told me that story, when he told me that story, Something changed in, in me. It didn't fix anything, but something changed. And the, what changed is I felt peace. I didn't feel alone. I felt like I felt this intimacy with my dad. We, it, 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 I don't think he knows it. I don't think he knows. He's probably, he'll probably listen to this message and, and not even remember this story. But it made an impact in me. It, cha- it, it built an intimacy with my dad. And it grew that. And I think that our, he- our relationship with our Heavenly Father can be the same way. 
See, if we only see God as this divine being off somewhere in the cosmos, completely far away, completely unaware of what it's like to be in our shoes, then when we talk to him, when we pray to him, we can rant and rave and complain, and that's okay. But at the same time, our God wants to come near to us and remind us that he knows what it's like to be in our place. He knows what it's like to be human. When Jesus came as the son of man, we realized, oh yeah, that's right. You do know what it's like to go through pain. You do know what it's like to suffer and to feel alone and to be exhausted and to be misunderstood and be frustrated at work with those you're leading, to be betrayed by your friends. You realize you're not alone and you realize that you have this common experience with the living God and it builds this intimacy with him, this sweet, sweet intimacy. So what might happen if we began to shift our prayer life, to shift the, how we talk to God, instead of talking at him, to talking with him? What might it look like if instead of, you know, always just monologuing and shouting out at God, if we actually had a dialogue with God? We have taken what was always intended to be a two-way street and we've forced it one way. We forced it to only go with us speaking to God. Well, might we experience just a sweet, deeper intimacy with him? I think we would. I think we would. I know we would. But this phrase, the Son of Man, it still sounds weird, right? I mean, Jesus is going around saying, the Son of Man will do this, the Son of Man will do that. And in Mark, there's this story where Jesus is walking along with his disciples, and he wants to kind of get a vibe on what the crowd of people is saying about him. And so he, he asks his disciples, you know, who do people say that I am? But in Matthew, in the same exact story, Matthew changes one little phrase. He doesn't say, who do people say that I am? He says, who do people say that the Son of Man is? And so, so it's, it's weird. He's talking about himself in the third person. You know, if after church today, if I said, hey, Andrew's going to go to Starbucks, would you like to join Andrew? you would think that was, I was weird. And you would walk the other way, right? right? It's just, so there's got to be something else that's going on here. It can't be just that Jesus is trying to relate to us. And of course, there's a, there is a deeper meaning to this. So the first point is that the Son of Man came to, um, the Son of Man came to, and now I lost my notes, be relatable to all people. But the second point is that the Son of Man came to restore the Son of Man came to restore the kingdom of God. You know, when the Jews heard Jesus calling himself the Son of Man, they knew the deeper meaning behind this. They would have, their ears would have perked up and, and thought, did he just say what I think he said? Did he just call himself the Son of Man? See, because Jews who knew the Old Testament knew that this meant something big. Because in the book of Daniel, you know, Daniel in the lion's den, well, there's more to it than just that. In the book of Daniel, Daniel prophesies about a time that would come. And he uses this phrase, son of man, who's going to come and change everything. And it's going to be drastic. And, and he's gonna, this, this figure is going to be exalt, an exalted figure, and they're going to come from heaven, and they're going to change everything. Listen to this verse in Daniel 7. Daniel 7, it says, this is Daniel speaking. In my vision at night I looked, and there before me was one like a son of man coming from the clouds of heaven. And he approached the ancient of days, which is another way of saying God, and was led into his presence. And he was given a 
authority, glory, and sovereign power. And all nations and peoples in every language worshiped him. And his dominion is an everlasting dominion that will not pass away. And his kingdom is one that will never be destroyed. It's Daniel 7, 13 through 14. See, by calling himself the Son of Man, Jesus was stating that he is this figure, this one sent from heaven and given authority and power to bring the kingdom of God back to earth, to shake things up. Everything that was blemished and stained and wrecked since the Garden of Eden when sin entered the world, God was going to take back what was his. Derek Morphew, who is a, a vineyard theologian and was actually here a few months ago speaking, he says it like this. He talks about this verse this way. He says, To the Jewish mind, therefore, to say the Son of Man was ref- to refer to the pre-existent heavenly man who would come from heaven to destroy the kingdoms of this world and set up the eternal kingdom of God. Derek goes on to talk a lot about the Son of Man in his book, Breakthrough, and I know we sell it back in the book card if you're more interested in, in this and then more than we have time for today. But, but think about this. On Christmas morning in a few weeks, we are going to be celebrating this prophecy beginning. The Son of Man has come to this earth to take back the earth and restore God's kingdom. But because Jesus came to restore God's kingdom, it also means he has to restro- or destroy, he has to destroy the kingdoms of this world, putting an end to evil and sin and establish God's kingdom. And so some of the things that Jesus says sound really harsh. They sound really serious. In Matthew 13, verse 40 through 42, listen to how serious this is. Jesus says this, as the weeds are pulled and burned up in the fire, so it will be at the end of the age. The Son of Man will send out his angels and they will weed out, they will weed, and they will weed out of his kingdom everything that, he, that causes sin and all who do evil. They will throw them into the fiery furnace and there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. This is harsh. This is not some warm, fuzzy verse. You know, I, this is not a, a verse you'd see on a Christmas card. Although I did think it would be kind of funny. You know, if you sent this to, on a card to, to a relative, I was imagining, what if one of my relatives opened this as a card, you know? Oh, looky here. Andrew sent us a Christmas card. You know? And, oh, look on the outside. Oh, look at that sweet picture of baby Jesus. It says, oh, to us a son of man is born. Oh, but let's open up and see what's on. What? What is this? And there will be fire and weeping and gnashing of teeth? What kind of sick Christmas card is this? Right? It's messed up. I don't know where that voice came from. Um, last, last night it turned out to be from North Dakota. I, I don't know where... I, not very good with accents, but seriously, like, this is harsh. You could really, some of you are thinking about it, I know. You're thinking, I could, that one relative I could really mess with. We don't like, we don't like to think about the harsh, serious side of what the Son of Man means. But in the end, in the end, it ultimately means that Jesus is going to, he is right now, currently, and will continue to use his authority and power to restore all things Right? He's going to make all things right. He's going to end the evil that plagues our lives. He's going to fix what's broken. He's working to make the wrongs of this world right. 
Recently, a few weeks back, I started reading The Lion, the Witch, and the Wardrobe to my older kids. I think Michael mentioned it in a sermon of maybe about a month ago or something. And it was like, oh yeah, my older two, they could, they could hear this story now. They're old enough to hear this. So we've been reading it. And just the other night, we came to this part where they're talking about in the story this prophecy of the lion Aslan. And if you're not familiar with this, this children's book, it's, or Aslan in this story represents Jesus. And listen to this prophet, listen to this phrase. I don't, we don't have a slide for this, but listen to this quote. It says, this is about Aslan. Wrong will be made right when Aslan comes in sight. At the sound of his roar, sorrows will be no more. And when he bears his teeth, winter meets its death. And when he shakes his mane, we shall see spring again. There is a fierceness to Jesus. But it's always with the purpose of making things right. That he is in the process of ending winter and beginning spring. And while this age has not yet fully come, we talk about this a lot in the vineyard, the already and the not yet, we do see that it starts with Christmas. When Jesus enters this world, you know, and later on in his life when he starts his ministry, he starts demonstrating that authority and power. He starts healing people of sickness. He starts forgiving people's sins. He gives sight to the blind. The deaf can hear. He makes the lame walk. He calms storms. He casts out demons. He multiplies food. He brings the dead back to life. You know, 2,000 plus years ago, the rightful king came back and started to restore his kingdom. He's been pulling the weeds of evil ever since. And he's going to continue to restore the kingdom of God. And the best, I think, one of the best parts is, is he says, we get to partner with him. We get to be a part of it. We don't just have to sit on the sidelines and watch him in action. We get to, to get out on the field and do it too. So what kind of a wonderful season would it be this Christmas if over the next few weeks we committed to just being w with our eyes wide awake, to seeing what God is doing in everyday people's lives, in our interactions every day with people, and how we can help restore his kingdom. What kind of a Christmas might it be if we, were, if we actually acted with courage and boldness to actually pray for a coworker or somebody that we know is going through a hard time? I think some of you, some of you have never prayed for somebody out loud outside these walls. Maybe this Christmas season is the time you step out in faith and do that. You know, what if, what if this Christmas season um, you, you helped your neighbor rake some of the last of their leaves just to show them Christ's love? Or maybe you go out of your way to invite somebody you know is lonely to Christmas dinner or just some Christmas tradition that you do in your family. Might that be one of the most meaningful Christmases that they've ever experienced, that you've ever experienced? and partnering with God in restoring his kingdom. It doesn't have to be a big thing. It can be little. So the Son of Man came to relate to us, and the Son of Man came to restore the kingdom of God. And thirdly, the Son of Man came to begin a rebirth of humanity. A rebirth of humanity. And let me explain what I mean by this. This can be a little confusing at first. Christmas is not just the celebration of the birth of one human, but the celebration of the rebirth of humanity. See, 
When we read this phrase in English and we read in our English translated Bibles and we see the son of man, that's, that's not exactly what it says. See, the New Testament was originally written in Greek, but even in Greek, the, the Jews who would have heard it and read it and listened to it, they were trained to think in Hebrew because that's how they were raised. And in Hebrew, the phrase for son of man is this phrase, ben Adam. And we would probably pronounce that Ben Adam. Ben means son, and Adam means man. In the Hebrews who would have heard this, they would have heard this phrase, Ben Adam, and they would have, they would have thought not just about, not just the word man, they would have thought back to the first Adam. Because that's what it means. Adam's name means simply man. When God created Adam, he's just saying, I, I made man. But, but what Jesus is saying here is he's not just saying son of man. What he's really saying is I'm the son of Adam. I'm the son of Adam. And, and if you think about it, he's really not a, the physical son of Adam. But what he's saying is, he's saying I am the reenactment of Adam. I am the redo of Adam. I am the do-over. Where Adam was given a job to live in the garden and tend the garden, expand the kingdom of God, expand God's reign and rule and spread out over the whole earth and multiply so that the whole earth, you know, gave glory to God and honor to God. He and Eve messed up and sin came into this world. And Jesus is saying that I am going to fix that. I am here to redo that. And not only that, I'm here to change what it means to be human. See, Adam, all throughout Scripture, is also viewed not just as a, the first man or as a single person, but as representative of all humanity. He is both, at the same time, simply one man, singular, and simultaneously representative of all mankind. So by calling himself the Son of Man, Jesus is saying, I am the new Adam. Yeah, I'm one person, but I'm also representing the first of the new mankind of this new humanity. And as, as the son of man, Jesus pr was prepared to take on the destiny and the punishment of the old mankind. Death on a cross for Adam's and our sin. But, as, but he was also prepared to usher in a new humanity. A life full of abundance and freedom. One where we can experience eternal life, not just in heaven someday, but right now. Right now as we walk in this earth with the Holy Spirit living in us. Paul talks about this idea of one man representing all of humanity in Romans. Romans 5.15, he says this. But the gift is not like the trespass. For if the many died by the trespass of the one man, Adam, how much more did God's grace and the gift that came by the grace of the one man, Jesus Christ, overflow to the many? Paul is saying that while Adam's sin negatively has affected all of us, the gift of Jesus has had a much more positive effect, a greater effect. So it should be no surprise to us that, when, that Jesus talks about this idea of needing to be born again. You know, this is a common phrase in evangelical Christianity, to be born again. And really, I believe this is partially where it comes from in Jesus' mind. There's this famous story in the Gospel of John where Jesus is 
talking to this man named Nicodemus. And in John 3, 3, he says this. Jesus replied, Very truly I tell you, no one can see the kingdom of God unless they are born again. And as the son of man, as the son of Adam, Jesus sees himself as the gateway, the prototype, the first of this new humanity, and he's inviting everyone to join in on it. Everyone to become a part of it. So we have a choice in this life. We can either be joined with the destiny of the first Adam, or we can be joined with what Paul calls the second or last Adam, Jesus. But the choice is simply the first step. We get to spend the rest of our lives learning how to walk that out, stumble that out, maybe is a better way to think of it. But what, what I think and what I see to be true is that for many of us, many of, a, many of us have chosen to bind our life with the second Adam, Jesus. But we still live as if we're linked to the first Adam. You know, how many of you guys have ever seen the movie Shawshank Redemption? Anybody ever seen? So back in, if you haven't seen the movie, back in the, it's been around for a while, back in the 1990s, there was this movie Shawshank Redemption that came out. It's a story of a man um, who's convicted of murder. And his, his experience in prison is basically most of the movie. And he ends up getting, escaping prison in this kind of miraculous way in the end. But, but in that story, the main character meets another man in prison named Brooks. The character's name is Brooks. And Brooks is this elderly man. And Brooks has been in prison for a long time. Brooks has been in prison for over 50 years. Basically his entire adult life. He has been in prison. And in the movie, Brooks gets his freedom. And he, he comes out, and he, he's living as a free man, and he quickly realizes he has no idea how to live free. He has spent his whole life as a prisoner. It's all he knows. It's all he knows. So much so that he wants to go back to prison. Can you imagine that? When to go back to prison? Because it's where he feels like he is safe and where he can control. You know, he does not know what it's like to live as a free man, so much so that he becomes so distraught and so upset. There's this really sad scene where he carves his name in the rafters of his apartment, and he says, carves in, Brooks was here. And then he ends his own life. He hangs himself. He doesn't know how to live in his freedom. And I believe that, that there are, there's an element of this that as Christians that we struggle with that are, is true about us. That we have, some of it, we have lived so long in our sinful habits and our sinful patterns and we've given our lives to Jesus and we bound ourselves with that second Adam. But we don't know how to live in our new humanity. We're, we're free, but we don't know how to live as free. And so we fall back into our old self. We fall back into those old patterns, those old habits, and we choose to rather walk back through those prison gates because it's what we know instead of walking into the unknown freedom and adventure that God has for you and me. We give excuses instead of effort. We say things like, it's just the way I've always been. It's the way my mother was or the way my father was. What do you expect? It's never gonna change. But I believe that God is here to say that it doesn't have to be like that. It 
doesn't have to be like that. Will you let me show you? Will you let me teach you? Will you, will you surround yourself with people who are trying to do the same thing? Will you put yourself in situations where you're around people who are trying to learn what it's like to walk with me too? Will you let me, will you, will you let me as the Holy Spirit in to help you change you and transform you? See, I think we have mistakenly believed a lie. We have mistakenly believed a lie that to be born again is gonna happen without labor pains. There is still challenges as Christians. And I'll confess something here. It's nothing like confessing something in front of more than 100 people. Okay, that'll make you humble. But I sometimes really struggle with anger. Not so much at people, but I struggle at anger oftentimes if I'm doing a project. Like if I'm trying to fix something and it's not going well, my temper will just flare up like crazy. And I become this other person. This person I don't like. So a few weeks ago, my dishwasher broke. And I, we bought a new one. How hard can this be? 30 minutes tops, right? Take the old one out, put the new one in. No. Three hours later, three trips to the hardware store, it is not going in. It is not attaching right. It's not what the instructions say. And I, my temper's red hot. I mean, I am saying things, doing things, slamming things. It was not pretty. And I get in the car, and I'm going onto the hardware store, I think, for the third time. And I, I believe God spoke to me. And I believe he said to me this. I believe he said to me, Andrew, you can continue to live in this moment as your old self, as the old Andrew. Or you can choose to trust me. You can choose to trust me. And let me show you how to be the new Andrew. So here I am, I'm bawling my eyes out. I go into a hardware store of all places and I'm thinking, please don't anybody ask me if I need help, right? <laughs> I'm, just, I'm just here looking for an adapter for my dish, right? I would not, no. Thankfully, I just kept my head down, went to the back, found the part I, was, I thought I needed. Um, and, uh, and nobody asked that. But I'll tell you what, I got home and I was different. I, I turned on worship music blared it as loud as it would go. And I crammed my body underneath the sink, my tall, lanky body, totally sitting underneath the sink. And I was singing at the top of my lungs. And it may have not been pretty to anybody else, but it sure was pretty to the Lord. And I was a different person. In that moment, I was my new self. And I would love to say that dishwasher went right in, but it didn't. I think it was at least two more hours later and another trip to the hardware store. But I will tell you that my wife noticed a difference. And she told me later that she had been trying to keep the kids upstairs and away from me before, which is pretty funny and pretty sad at the same time. But, um, but, but not after when I came back. She said, something was different about you when you came back from the hardware store. It's because I met God. And God met with me. So what if this Christmas, what if this Christmas season, we let God into more of our old selves? If we learn to walk in the freedom of our new humanity, that sure would be a reason to celebrate, wouldn't it? So in conclusion, so what, we're talking about different names. 
titles of Jesus? What name defines you? See, Jesus, Jesus chose to define himself as the son of man because it was part of his destiny. It was who he was. It was his identity. So what name defines you? Maybe a better question is who defines you? Who gets to name you? Christmas is all about remembering that Jesus came to make God relatable to us, to begin to restore his kingdom, and to begin a rebirth of humanity. I believe these are all clear signs that God is head over heels in love with you and in love with me. And he is saying to you that I'm, I call you by name. I know your name. And you are my beloved son. You're my beloved daughter. Some of you need to hear that today. See, if you're in Jesus, you are no longer a son or daughter of the old Adam. You are a son or daughter of the new Adam. There's this popular song by Casting Crowns, which is a, a, a Christian band right now called One Step Away. And li- listen to this bridge. I'm not going to sing it for you. I'm just going to read it. But listen to the bridge part of this song, how well it fits. Lay down, lay down your old chains. Come now and take up a new name. Your best life up ahead now. You're one step away. You're one step away. Let's stand. If you're visiting for us today, we always like to end with just a time to actually encounter God, to see what God wants to do. So I'm going to invite a few of you forward to to get prayer this morning. And I believe some of you are one step away from a big shift in your relationship with God. I think some of you recognize that I want to be able to relate to God like he knows what it's like to be me. That I don't just want to talk at God, I want to talk with him. I want to be able to hear him. I want to hear him encourage me. I want to hear him say, it's going to be okay. I want to know God like that. I also felt like last night as during worship that God was saying to, I want to, I want to restore not just relationships with us and the Heavenly Father, but us and our own earthly parents. That there are some of you here today that you know that your relationship with your parents, or maybe your children, you are the parent, isn't good. And God wants to do something this Christmas season in that. Because part of restoring the kingdom of God means restoring relationships. And I think for some of us, even though that wasn't really my point tonight, that God might want to do something in that for some of you. I think I want to invite some of you to come forward because you just want to live in this season the next few weeks with your eyes wide open. And I think God wants to give you an awareness of what he's up to in people's lives around you and fill you with courage and boldness to move out into what he's called you to do and partnering with him to restore the kingdom of God. Some of you, I think, want to learn to walk in that new humanity I was talking about. You're saying, I don't want to be a prisoner to my old self anymore. And I told that story about anger. I think some of you struggle with anger. And that's a hard thing, humbling thing to come and get prayer for. But God wants to start to change that in you. Maybe there's a different area of your life that seems to just have this stronghold that no matter how hard you try to change it, it just won't change. 
We just keep falling back into that old self. And I think God wants to to come and, and break a stronghold in people's lives today. And break a stronghold and, and set you free from that and show you how to be free in that. And of course, we like to, you know, part of restoring the kingdom is, is praying for the sick. If you're sick, if you're in pain, if you're struggling, we want, we want to pray for you, whether it's a, emotional or physical. We want to, we want to pray for you today. Um, so if any of those things apply, if any of those things apply, or if you need prayer for anything, I want to encourage you guys to start to begin to come forward. And Sarah's going to lead us in a song of worship. And let's have men pray for men and women pray for women. And Penny, do you have something? Great. Maybe. I'll just talk really loud. <laughs> I had a real sense of shame that there's someone here struggling with shame. And it's over something you've done. And just like Andrew was talking about the Lord giving you a new name, um, he wants to give you a new name. Great, Penny. So if any of those things apply, Sarah leads us in worship. If you guys want to start to come forward, let's have guys pray for guys, girls pray for girls. Great. pray over here and over here too as well
you're getting prayer, just continue to receive what God has for you. I'm praying that God would meet you right now. And if you're in your seats, I just want to pray a blessing over you as you guys go as we start this Christmas season. That's okay. So Holy Spirit, Lord, would you come and be with us as a people? Would you use us? Would, be a, we, would, would we be aware of where your activity is at, what you're doing in, in our spheres of influence? Would you, would you make us into a new, a new creature, a new human? Continue to transform us. Can we folk, I pray that we can focus on the, the reason for the season this year. That we might offer another option to the world, the one true option. And would you be with us as we go about our weekend? In the name of Jesus. Amen. Amen. Well, bless you guys. Have a great rest of your Sunday. If you're visiting, you know, I know myself and many of the other pastors and staff would love to meet you back in the visitors' welcome and have a blessed, have a blessed weekend.